right, good to be with you guys. It's been fun having the guest speakers, though, hasn't it? All right, yeah, world-class people, just good stuff. So Mary and I got to go to a Catholic school of supernatural ministry up in Brighton, Michigan on Monday. And so let me tell you, those Catholics are still hungry. I tell you what, they, are, they love Jesus. And so it was a lot of them. Mary got to lead worship for them. And so it was funny. We, Mary led worship there last year. And they said that um, after leading worship with Mary, it gave them permission to spend a lot of time just on one song. And so um, if, if you've ever been worship with Zion, you know we can, yeah, we can sing one song for an hour. And so uh, Mary, Mary left that impartation to them. And so uh, it, was really, it was really cute that they recognized that. It was really sweet. But yeah, yes, it's wonderful people. They're, they're super hungry. And um, we so Mary and I, the spirit of prophecy ended up hitting us. So we ended up, uh, boy, I think we were there two and a half hours uh, praying impartation and prophecy people there until after midnight. And so it was crazy. But the people started expecting a word, and they would encounter the Lord, and you could see that they were getting ready to fall sometimes, but they were trying to hang on so that they could hear the word. And so it was like, I don't know, it was just a funny thing, but wonderful, wonderful people. And we're, we're, uh, we're threatening to take a busload of people. I don't know if it'll actually be a bus, but since Father Matthias, the, uh, the priest of the parish up there, was not able to come down to Columbus just for some different reasons here, um, not on our end, uh, not on his end, just, yeah, their structure stuff that they have to go through. Uh, we thought it'd be fun maybe just take a whole bunch of Zioners and go up there and just worship with them one service. Wouldn't that be awesome? And so, um, yeah. So some of you who that's messing with your theology, um, if you love Jesus and uh, you're trusting him as your savior, we're brothers and sisters. All right? We can uh, yeah, we'll let the theologians set out the other stuff, but uh, how many know people at Thanksgiving, you probably didn't agree on every single thing, yet you're still family. Okay, because it's not your uh, doctrinal beliefs or your political views that bring you together around the table. It's, uh, it's because you're family. So, all right, we good? I got some really good news for you this morning. God is so committed to your destiny that he sent the Holy Spirit to personally mentor you into it. Isn't that just a good idea? So one of the things he does is he uses his voice, but I think what God is really highlighting for us in this year is that he's, uh, he uses his word. He uses the word of God. He uses the Bible. And so um, everybody's renewing their mind with something. Do you guys realize that? And so a lot of people, they're renewing their mind with the news. I tell you what, guys, if you want to get depressed, I, like, that's a great way to do it. Just like, like watch a whole bunch of news. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody, but I've never seen anybody move in Holy Spirit power who was a news junkie. It's Here's what happens as you watch that news. It's trying to draw. I can. I literally am not spiritual enough to watch the news. It just it draws me into the fence, and I just get so upset with these things. And it's just hard to walk around. It's hard to walk in power when you're offended. Okay. That, that, that was for somebody out there. I don't know. Maybe this person next to you. Probably not you. But anyway, so I want to talk about this. I want to talk about God. Uh, this one's called an, an invitation to an encounter. So listen to John five thirty nine. Jesus, he's talking to a bunch of religious people, and they're really upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, right? And when you like to hang around these people at a party, right? They're just all upset. And so John 5, 39, Jesus said this, you study or you search the scriptures diligently. I mean, that sounds pretty good. They're diligently searching scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is letting them know that knowledge about the Bible without an encounter of the author of the Bible is useless. It actually just makes you religious and makes you not a lot of fun to be around. Here's what you need to realize. The Bible actually points us to Jesus. 
See, a lot of times we get into this doctrinal stuff and, you know, the finished work of the cross and grace. Those things are great, but those doctrines point to a person. And when you leave them in the theoretical realm and you're just kind of these ideas that you're trying to grasp rather than leading you to a person that you're in a relationship with and you're surrendering your heart to, which is the whole point of the book. John 1, Jesus is called the Word of God. Listen, Jesus is God's final statement about everything. It's like uh, the whole Bible is wrapped up in a person and uh, put flesh around it. This is God's speaking out, this is what I'm like. He's showing it to you in a person. The Bible is called the written word. Jesus is called the living word. You meet the living word in the written word. You're never just reading the Bible in your own story. Oh, all right, you know, chapter day keeps the devil away. You know, I got to kind of get out here and get it done before, you know, so I can get to some important stuff. No, no, you're not. It's not like taking vitamins. It's not just this ritual thing. You're actually coming to slow down and meet a person. Oh, here's a, here's a good tip. I don't have this one on my notes. Never read the Bible alone, meaning don't do it in your own strength. Read it with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times I'll pray a prayer like this. Holy Spirit, you wrote this book. I need, you, I need your help to understand it. So, I mean, I actually, we had guest professors in the seminary I went to, not, I mean, the professors I had were awesome, but we had some guest professors who were brilliant scholars and, you know, biblical archaeology, all these type of things. They didn't actually believe the Bible. It just was a textbook for them, okay? And I, I think there's an extreme in the church where you've got people who are so, they love the word, the word, the word, the word, and great, but the word is not the point. The word points you to the point, which is Jesus, if you're not encountering the author of the book, you're only getting equipped to debate those who disagree with you. Ask me how I know. I've met them and I used to be one. All right. <clears throat> the point of the Bible is to meet the author. Um, every verse in the scripture testifies about Jesus. Every verse in the Bible is an invitation to an encounter with Jesus. Let me just tell you this, guys. Life is too busy to not read the Bible. Oh, man. I remember, I love this story, Graham Cook, I really like him as a teacher, and uh, he said this, he said he was sitting on a plane with this guy, and this guy's an atheist, and the guy's like making fun of Graham Cook, he's like, what, you actually read the Bible, you believe that book? And I love Graham's response, he's like, what, you're not reading the Bible, you're trying to do things in your own strength, are you crazy? And I'm like, that's the correct perspective, like, who, you're not reading the Bible, what are you thinking? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. This is the parable of the sower, the seed, and four types of soil. Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. This is Jesus uh, telling a story, kind of pulling back the curtain on what the kingdom of God is like and how things work. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. He's getting a little bit better acoustics. They're crowding him, so he's getting there. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, so here's the parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering some seed, some fell along the path. So I want you to notice, there's one sower, the farmer, one seed, four different types of soil. So the first one is the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places, the second type of soil, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil, the soil was shallow, oh, because this, oh, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Verse 6, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, the third type of soil, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160, 30, or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Again, it's the same seed going out. It's the same sower. The only thing that's changing is the condition of the soil and the results that that seed is getting. Every person in here fits into this parable. Every person. You have one of these four type of heart conditions. Nobody is exempt from this. And here's the good news. If the word of God is not producing fruit in your life, this parable tells you how to solve it. This is going to tell you how to get the results you're looking for. And so if, if, if the word of God is not bearing fruit, you can, uh, you can go back to this thing and you can nail it down to one of these soil conditions. And so let's look at verse 10 again. Um, then the, uh, he's, he's now giving the, more of the interpretation here. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? I tell them these stories that are kind of mysterious. And uh, he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Uh, first, I want you to get the impact of that verse 11. The knowledge of the secrets. Uh, some translations say mysteries. It's the same word. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Listen, guys, God wants to reveal to you the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He's not like, all right, this is just an exclusive club, and when you reach, you know, you move from epistle to apostle. That's not actually not really a thing. You know, when you move it up some, some level here, then you get access to the goodies, you know. It's like those gurus, you know, it's like, join my course, and oh, if you really want the super secrets, you got to go to the platinum level. You know, if anyone's ever been to those things, it's super frustrating, right? God wants to reveal, but he, um, he concealed the truth so that only, it requires hunger in order to get access to the truths. Always read the Bible hungry. There's another little tip, okay? Well, you guys are quiet this morning. This is interesting here, so, all right. So uh, um, he conceals the truth in parables so that it remained a mystery to some, but to other people it actually made perfect sense. Uh, Proverbs 25.2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. So the same way that God hides gold in rocks, he, holds, he hides truths and mysteries inside of, inside of Bible passages. And he wants you to become the kingdom royalty that you are and rise up and begin to search these truths out because those who seek will find. Um, maybe you've heard this phrase, God hides things for us, not from us, All right? And so if you've ever uh, done Easter egg hunting with the kids, um, we did not do it this year because they're in their 20s. And so, um, but when they were smaller, we used to do it. And, you know, no decent parent, you know, you're not like hiding it like three feet under the ground in the backyard, right? Like no one's hiding it at that level. And like, you know, 20 years later, the kids finally discover it, right? Like you're kind of like, you know, putting it, you know, like maybe behind a pillow on the couch or if they're really young, like you know, just right wide open spaces, like right in the corner of the floor, right? Because part of the adventure is the searching it out and the finding, Right. This is how it is in the kingdom. He's like, hey, this is, the kingdom belongs to people who are like kids. Like, everything's an adventure. And so those people who are willing to go on that adventure with the Lord, those are the ones who find the secrets. When you think of secrets, God has given us access to things that uh, will change cities, will change neighborhoods, will change your workplace, uh, will change government. I'm talking about medical breakthroughs. I'm talking about ways to educate people with special needs. I'm talking about breaking poverty off of uh, villages and nations and God would like to reveal those things to us, and he has them hidden in this realm called mystery. And for people who will search it out, he will have those things for them. Is that good news to anybody? So verse 18, Jesus is, uh, he's, now he's going to interpret the parable. He's like, listen, I've hidden these things, but let me tell you what this parable means. Because if you understand this parable, you actually understand all the rest of the parables. Verse 18, Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So he's given the interpretation of the parable. So the seed falls along with the path here. 
And so let's look at the two parts of this uh, verse 19 here. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom. So Jesus is saying this seed that the farmer sowed is actually the word of the kingdom. And uh, I want you to picture this. When you receive revelation, it's like receiving a seed from another world that wants to come and reproduce the life of that world in you. And so I remember I read this article about this plant, and it was taken from one ecosystem. It was the uh, primrose willow, and it was taken to Peconic Lake. Okay, that's for you uh, geologists there. And so, the, uh, so here was this primrose willow was taken from one ecosystem, its native ecosystem, and it was brought into a foreign ecosystem, and it completely took over that ecosystem. Thousands and thousands of acres of marshland were completely taken over by this thing. That's a picture of the seed of the kingdom of God. It's this thing from another realm, and it's coming, and it wants to take over your ecosystem so that it changes the world in you so that you can change the world around you. I feel like I'm on a sprint here. Here's the thing, gang, in the kingdom. It has to affect the world inside of you before it can affect the world outside of you. So many people are like, I hear this truth. We're going to change the world. We're going to do this and that. That's great. But um, let's change your world first. Put the oxygen on your face. I remember when you went to Uganda, uh, the first time we, that I went to Uganda, we, uh, you know, there was a crusade. It was awesome. And uh, boy, I tell you what, the demoniacs, they kicked our butt that first year. Okay? Like, we're praying for them, and they're laughing at us. Uh, Mark Tamal, you remember this? <laughs> so they were mocking us, saying things like this, you have no power, we're not leaving. Like, that's discouraging when you're speaking to a demon. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just laughing, like literally laughing in our face. I'm just going to tell on Mark here. Mark said, Jim, if you don't come over and deliver this girl, I'm going to slap her in the face. She's been laughing at me for two hours. Now, he wasn't really going to do it. He was mad at the demon. But um, I went over there and was unable to deliver this girl from the demon. And so... Um, Super discouraging. You know, they're like levitating on stage. They're like super discouraging, okay? And so I'm just telling you how it happened. So this, uh, so uh, I called up James Maloney. I'm like, James, if you're, how many of you guys know James Maloney? He's coming again in the spring. Hurricane Maloney. It'll be great. And so I'm like, listen, we got our butts kicked by the demons. And, uh, you know, he's so gentle and so pastoral. <laughs> the reason you couldn't give them deliverance is because you need deliverance. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I knew he was going to say something like this. And so if you remember, he came and he did like a deliverance weekend, and um, uh, I, words cannot describe what happened, but um, uh, it was the most wild, charismatic service I've been in 48 years. And so, um, but me, we got freedom. And when we went to Uganda back the next year, uh, every person who was demonized, I mean, they were still levitating, but we um, were able to get the demons out of them, get them back on ground. It was a lot, a lot more fun that way. But uh, th uh, 30 for 30, the 30 of the demoniacs that came, and they were, they were a wild bunch, man. Like Africa demons, boy, I tell you what, they, uh, they, they got some volume and wild level that I feel, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's like the gymnastic demons go over there, and like we get like the professor demons here or something. I don't know. So, <laughs> What I want you to see, though, is that seed comes to change the world inside of us, but it's not just for you. Okay, everything in the kingdom, you only get to keep what you give away. And when you give it away, you actually receive more. That's how the kingdom works. Given, it shall be given. Let's look at the second part of verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, remember, he's describing us the path that's not bearing any fruit, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the first soil sown along the path, what's the problem? Is they don't understand it, okay? 
Um, in the Western culture, we understand, we, we define understanding as this, is we're able to grasp the concepts. We're intellectually able to get the constructs and under, you know, assimilate the information. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. This isn't saying that you intellectually can repeat back the doctrine of the Trinity. We're not, we're not talking about that. In America, our version of our saying, you can actually go to business school, get a degree in business, and not be taught by anyone who's actually run a business. Right, Because professors and those type of things in Western system learning, it's about ideas and concepts and principles rather than experience. Right, But in Eastern culture that the Bible was written in, to understand something means you have an experience of it. Okay, And so um, the biblical view, so the, 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 the biblical idea of understanding is learning which takes place through the five senses. In other words... Um, I practiced it in real life, and now I've come to know that what I got by revelation, I now have taken it, and I've seen it work in my life, and it's an experience. So he says when the word of God comes and you do not understand, he's not saying you don't like intellectually be able to understand. He's saying you don't actually have an experience with that truth. It gets snatched away. John Wimber had a great illustration uh, talking about the difference between Western culture and Eastern culture. And he would illustrate it by making two statements with a question. So he said, if you were to go over to um, someone from Western culture and you were to make these two statements, coffee does not grow in cold climate. Great Britain has, gold, has a cold climate. Does coffee grow in Great Britain? Like any five-year-old would say, no, right? That's Western culture, right? But if you go over to Eastern culture, the, um, the overwhelming answer of the elderly Chinese when they say, does coffee grow in Great Britain? They would say, I don't know. I've never been to Great Britain. Why? They couldn't answer that question with understanding because they never had an experience of Great Britain. Whereas over in the Western culture, we just, the theories and ideas, and we think we know something. What I'm saying is we have to actually get a biblical view of understanding if we're going to be able to have the seed bear fruit in our life. Jesus is saying when the word of the kingdom comes to you and it's not put into practical human experience, when we applaud the doctrine and we amen it, but the reality of it's not showing up in our life, that uh, if it's not put into our experience, that seed becomes vulnerable to the enemy coming and snatching it away. It says the evil one comes and snatches it away what was sown in his heart. Let me give you an example. Let's say we did a message on giving to the poor. Man, your heart is touched. I mean, you really feel the Holy Spirit. It's not just this emotional arm twisting, you know, but the Holy Spirit's really dealing with your heart. And you know, I just picture like a husband turning to their wife, or the wife turning to their husband and say, listen, we need, we need to give to the poor. Like this God is really moving on us. Listen, I'm just making up the time frame of two or three weeks. But if you do not do something with that seed that was planted in the next two or three weeks, the reality of that thing is going to get stolen from your heart. But here's the problem. It doesn't get stolen from your mind. So because it touched your heart, you really think that you've got a part in this. It's like, yeah, it's like I, you're, you're feeling more generous because you were touched even though it's not affecting your life. And here's the problem is the next time that sermon gets preached, you're going to be clapping. You're going to be amening it. You're going to say, people need to hear this message. And yet it hasn't affected your own life. The Bible defines religion as form without power, 2 Timothy 3.5. I'm not the example that was preached, but I sure agree with it. That's religion. And it's a reverse illustration. Powerful word comes about our privilege to honor the poor, to treat them as God's prized creation. If when the next two or three weeks, everybody in the room did something, but took what they had and gave it to somebody who was poor, the reality of that thing would begin to grow and you would be transforming more and more into a person who sees as God sees in a generous person. 
How many of you guys recognize you don't go from a stingy person to a generous millionaire overnight or through one prayer? But it starts with the seed getting planted and you acting on it. And now God sees he can trust you with more. I remember in my life, I would, so for those of you who don't know, there was a time when I was Pharisee Jim, okay? And so I was, uh, I was educated in seminary, learned a whole bunch of things, and somehow it turned something on on the inside of me to debate other people until they felt like nothing. I don't even know what it was about. It was this prideful, horrible, Pharisee, terrible thing. God got it out of me along with my wife. <clears throat> and so, um, but I would fight to the death uh, for, for the doctrine of it. But, um, but I, there was no reality of it in my life. Okay, and so God just began to shift things. So I'm listening to Andrew Walmack, and it's like he got my, my heart and my mind kind of loaded up. And so I think it was 2007, Mary and I were driving to an Andrew Walmack conference. And uh, how many of you guys know Andrew Walmack or know of him? He's wonderful. Mary and I had reached such a high position uh, with his ministry that we were going to be line leaders in the prayer team. That's, that's how high we had got. That's low. I'm teasing you guys. Is it what we were? We're going to be line leaders. So we're driving there, and I had never heard a message by Bill Johnson before. But someone handed me a tape. If you guys remember tapes, um, kids, just ask your parents what tapes are. Okay, they'll they'll be able to explain it to you. Maybe uh, a YouTube video will show you. And so they had these uh, cassette tapes, and it was a teaching of Bill Johnson called Mandate for Miracles. Never heard Bill before. I had three people in the same week say, "You need to listen to Bill." I was like, "All right, maybe I'll do. It. Maybe I'll try it." So, listen to Bill, and. Um, Bill, it felt like he was putting words to the songs in our heart. And it was like, man, this guy is going after the things we're going after, but he's taking it way farther than we imagine. And so he was telling stories of people stepping out and praying for healing outside the walls of the church, and it was working. And so Mary and I, we we wept on on the car ride down there. And so it was like uh, there there was a seed planted in my heart. I remember telling Mary, I'm like, so we're sitting at this hotel, and I said, I feel like i got to step out and pray for somebody or like, I'm going to be disobedient. Like, you see what I'm saying? That seed, was, it was trying to germinate so bad. And so I make that statement, and I look, and there's this girl with a neck brace. And um, her boyfriend looked like vanilla ice, which I actually happen to love vanilla ice. But I'm just saying, that's what he looked like. I remember, like, we were walking, you know, anyway. So I had noticed them when we were checking in at the hotel, and uh, she had a neck brace on. And so I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for vanilla ice's girlfriend. And so uh, it wasn't really him, but that would have been awesome. And so, uh, and so I'm not kidding. As I said that, it was like the stereotype person from like another religion. So if you picture like a stereotype Muslim, stereotype Muslim, like we're sitting at the, the restaurant, the thing, like they came by and they sneered at me. I'm like, what was that? They kind of smeared. I was like, what was that? And then like a stereotype Hindu person came by and they like hissed at me. I'm like, I'm just sitting here eating my breakfast. Like, what is going on here? I'm like, oh, I think the enemy is trying to intimidate me. And so I said, Mary, I'm, I'm going to go over there. And so you guys know how this happens. When God speaks your sometimes your feet need to start moving before your head can, like, figure it out. And so I'm, I'm scared to death. My heart is pounding. Uh, you know, my, my mouth is dry. My, uh, my palms were sweaty. So I licked my palms so I had moisture in my I didn't know. I was just kidding about that. <laughs> so I go over there, and um, I'm like, hey, you, do you mind if I just uh, ask you guys something? And he kind of puffs up. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you know. I, I don't know if you're gonna get in a rap battle or you know what's gonna happen. So and so um, and so I said, hey, and I so I point to my wife, so he didn't think I was sitting on his girlfriend. I'm like, hey, you know, um, my wife and I. I said, you know, we uh, we just felt like we we're supposed to pray for your neck. What's going on? And so she's like, I'm in absolute agony. She's like, I'm just getting ready. The painkillers aren't even touching it. And I said, okay, can we pray? And so I signal Mary, like, come on over. It's okay, you know, they're not gonna kill us. And so um, 
And so we pray for her, and I said, check it out. And she goes, ah, there was not 1% improvement. And I was like, oh, God, like, thanks, you know, for hanging me out there. But it's not his fault. Like, you know, obviously, it's, it's on the human side of the equation. And so I just said, hey, can we pray one more time? So we pray one more time. She moves her neck, and she's like, wow, it's better. I don't remember that she got 100% breakthrough. But what I'm saying is, um, guys, if that was the seed that planted everything that we've seen in our lives and ministry since then. Guys, my doctrine hadn't really changed in years. You know, I mean, since Pharisee Jim days, God was working that out, obviously. But like, I had the theology of it. I knew it was already God, always God's will to heal. The stuff that, I'm, that I teach on healing now, I wrote back in 2006 when I was in real estate. I used to write out sermons even though there was no place to preach them. I used to write. So you, I, I want you to see, the doctrine hadn't changed. But what had changed is there became an understanding with it when I stepped out and began to get experience in those things. That's that soil. Let's look at the second type of soil. Oh, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, just, just between you and the Lord, uh, God, help me to remember, is there a word that came alive in my heart that I may be let die down that, uh, that you're wanting to revive here? So just take a moment, and uh, if you get something, just jot it down, because he's so good, he wants to give you another chance with those things. All right, let's look at the second type of soil. Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. This is great. I mean, there's this person that get the word. They're joyful about it. This is awesome. But since they have no root in themselves, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, are you ready for this? Trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Like, that doesn't seem fair. The persecution comes because of the word. The second soil is the rocky ground, and the problem is they have no root. So here's the thing. The, the person hears the word of God. It's, this is an amazing message. This is an amazing Bible passage, amazing teaching. Something's happening. It's coming alive in their heart. And uh, there may be laughter. There may be tears. There may be genuine emotions. They put their shouting shoes on. The hankies wave. Like all sorts of stuff is happening. But it says they have no root in themselves, and it lasts only a short time. Okay, here's what's going on. Um, those who have no root in themselves are those who are going by what somebody else has to say about it but they've never taken that word and made it their own word. <laughs> it's quiet in here. If your basis of standing in a time of trial is, Andrew Womack said, or I remember Bill Johnson said, um, it's not going to work until you say, they may have said it first, but God spoke that word into my heart, and I know this to be true, and I will not be moved. There has to be a time when you say, listen, I don't care what I see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. I'm only moved by what his word has come into my life and said. There has to be a time when you stand on it and get your own root system. Listen, guys, you don't get a root system overnight. This is where so many people are missing it. I want the victory. I want to operate in healing. Yes, we're going to prosperity. We're going to do all these things. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. But are you willing to dig in and stand God's word and let it become revelation to you? And so I, I just had this happen yesterday. I told me I was reading through Genesis, and uh, not, not the whole book, just like a couple chapters. And I'm like, man, my spirit was so alive, I can't figure out what this thing means. Like I got words circled and everything, but, but am I willing to stay until it actually becomes revelation? A lot of times what happens is you're reading something, you know it's good, your Holy Spirit is tapping you on your, on your spirit man. And it's like, there's something in here for you. Are you going to become kingdom royalty and search out a matter? The glory of kings to, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So 
Uh, how many of you had that happen? You're reading it, you're like, I know something's good in here, but I just can't get it. You're on the journey. You're being tapped on the shoulder, being invited into a process where you just say, God, I can't get... Guys, the Bible is a closed book. You cannot hunt it down and dig it out through research. You need the Holy Spirit's help to pull it back and make it revelation. Study tools are great. All those do is give you different angles to hold it up to the presence of the Holy Spirit so he can speak out to you. I just hear a gong. <laughs> wow. I kind of like that. It's like an angel got his new wings. It's like, I just had a revelation. Dung. We need to download that as an app. Like some people are like, do the snaps. Gong. I like that. It's like a, like a bell choir back here. Ding, 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 ding. You're not going to get a crop by accident. You're not going to get the word of God to spring forth in you without committing yourself to it. And so the second type of soul is for a lot of people who they love God. They genuinely love God, but this is where they find themselves. You cannot depend upon a preacher to get you rooted and grounded in establishing God's word. No one can renew your mind for you. Only you can do that. All right. You guys ready for this? You might want to tweet this one. <clears throat> Secondhand revelation is like fast food faith. It produces biodegradable Christians. You have to take the revelation. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you. Those of you listening, somebody just gonged me, so thank you. The gong was a negative thing in the 70s. Remember the gong show? They'd hook yeah, but we're redeeming it. We are redeeming the gong at Zion. Guys, you have to take the revelation from someone else and make it your own. And so if it's revelation for someone else and they're speaking it and it's coming alive in your heart, guess what? It's about to become your own if you'll just partner with it and stand in it. I believe this is probably the most prevalent type of person among uh, charismatic, spirit-filled churches. They really love God. Uh, they're just simply not doing what it takes to take that word that got them excited and to let it, allow it to get rooted and grounded. Verse 21 again. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So I'm, um, This is a long time ago, 11 years ago, but do you guys remember the fall of 2008? Anybody? When we had Roger Sapp come in and teach in healing. Anybody in here? Yeah, we saw some people here. So Roger came in and brought us a revelation of healing, planted seeds in our heart, and what happened? Everybody got sick. Do you guys remember this? It's like, yay, we're going after healing. This is going to be so... <coughs> Oh, I feel, and it's like, it was just horrible. What was going on there? Trouble or persecution came because of the word. The word of God in your life actually attracts uh, difficulty in your life. I want, I want you to look at this. Because I think a lot of people are like, hold on, man, if it's God, it's going to be smooth sailing. What Bible have you read? Like, is Jesus' life where everyone's like, you're so amazing? They're like, you're amazing. We're going to kill this guy. He's doing miracles on, on holy days. And so what happened, we had some people that um, they got sick, they said this healing thing doesn't work, and they got offended, and they went to a church, they didn't challenge him with that. What happened? They fell away. I remember I did the 18-part series on finances. How many of you guys were there for that? Oh, yeah, that was offensive. That was so much fun. And um, no, really, I, I, a pastor named Jim Baker teaching on money for 18 weeks in a row. Think about it, guys. Yeah, so, so what happened? Um, 18 weeks, uh, what, what got tested? People's finances. 
got tested. What was on the other side of that testing? Great breakthrough. I think that year we had 25% of our church get out of debt, many including their homes, just in one year. What happened? They, they, they persevered. The word came, and that was there. I'm not sure if you read the Bible. The only response that counts is all in. There's not a lot of passages that are like, hey, there's a 60-back money-back guarantee. You know, if you, 60 day money-back guarantee. You know, you try this word, and if it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't work for you, it's not the word's fault. Gong. <laughs> I don't know how my whole body got into that one here. It was just, the more powerful it is, the more I vibrate with it. Make me your gong, Father. The word actually attracts difficulty. I mean, I mean, it almost sounds cruel. All I did was listen to God, and now I've got trouble. What's going on? He's trying to prove the power of his word in your life, not by theory, but by experience. Listen, if someone's like, hey, you've got this amazing uh, bulletproof, uh, you know, this, you know, ninja-proof, White Castle hamburger-proof. Like, there's nothing that can actually hurt you when you wear this suit. Like, like no one... <clears throat> Sorry for you White Castle hamburger fans. That was just... That was mean. But it's true. And so, um, so if you had on this super suit, right, like, you wouldn't know that it was amazing until someone shot you and it didn't even feel it. You see what I'm saying? That's what God wants you to know. You've got these promises. They're like, this is amazing. But you don't know the power of it until you actually get tested with this thing. Listen to Psalm 105.23. This is bizarre. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned to the land of Ham. You ready? And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. Yay, God, this is so amazing. You've made me stronger than my foes. Next verse. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. So God makes uh, the people of God strong. Then he goes over here to the enemies of God, and he stirs them up. He's like, hey, go get Israel. Why did he want to do that? Because God wants to defeat the enemy, but he wants to use, use you to do it. So anytime Israel, they were, uh, they're getting closer to another step of the promised land, taking more land, what happened? An enemy nation would get rise up, and they're like, oh, Israel's getting too strong. Let's go do it. Anytime Israel was getting ready to have their next breakthrough, they got attacked. When do most Christians give up? When they get attacked, this isn't working. It's getting hard. Yeah, this is called your stepping stone into your breakthrough. It's supposed to be easy. When you're just about to get another victory, the enemy's hoping to distract you from the mission God has for you. Guys, this should be renewing somebody's mind right now. If you're here and you're going through a difficult time, rejoice. What's on the other side of that difficult time if you'll partner with God? It's your breakthrough. I mean, I'm sure you guys have all seen the cartoon. It's like the guy who's like digging for gold. He's digging in the mine and he stops like an inch short. This is too much. This is your life. Gong. And so um, here's the question. Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life that's being attacked or persecuted right now? Look at it as a confirmation in reverse. Your finances are being attacked. Hmm. Where's your next breakthrough? Your health is being attacked. Your family is being attacked. Your marriage is being attacked. Because the enemy sees what could happen on the other side of that marriage being put together. Those families being whole. So Holy Spirit, is there an area that I need to stand strong in? Don't get discouraged. This is how the truth of his word gets proved in your life. All right, let's look at the third soil, verse 22. Are we good? All right, this one's a little long. 
this message, not this part. We're actually almost done. Done. Okay. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the third soil, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This one's pretty self-explanatory. But on this passage, Warren says, there's a kind of soil that's receptive to the word of God, but it's also receptive to other words. This is a real difficult thing in our culture because we have so many different options, right? I mean, a lot of them are good things, too, not necessarily God things. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen to, there's a, a theologian named Joel Green. He, I love how he paraphrases this passage. Let the kingdom of God be at the center of your life, not at the top. Let the kingdom of God set the standards for your life. Let the kingdom of God determine how you live, how you work, how you communicate, how you play. In other words, a lot of people say this, God first, family second, ministry third, you know, how, you know job, something like that. Instead of having a priority list, um, instead of like God first, second, third, God's first, there is no second. So look at this. So part of the way that I serve God is the way that I serve my family. See, there's no bifurcation. There's no division here. Bifurcation, you guys like that one? Dang. So, all right. So the, uh, are you guys seeing it? So it's like God's at the center and everything radiates out of that center. The way that I handle my finances, that is how I serve the Lord. The way that I spend my free time, it, it, it all becomes redeemed then. It all becomes with him. Whether you take a nap or raise the dead, the pay is the same if you do it with him. <laughs> so what are thorns? Thorns are that which grew out of another seed. In other words, it's divided devotions. I'm committed here, I'm committed over here, I gotta do a little bit of this over here, I'm trying to please my family, but then I got these people at work, and what are they gonna say? And no, no, no. God, I'm serving you at work, I'm serving you with my family. It just confuses life. It's just too hard to do it all the all around. People say, but if I fully serve God, my family will suffer. That's a lie. The work of God will never destroy God's work in you. If your ministry time, your work, if your devotional life for God is hurting your family, you need to figure out a different way to do it because it's not him. I'm not saying there's not seasons. I mean, I look at my life as kind of sprints and jogs, sprints and jogs. You know, there's times where you, you go all in. There's different, you know, when the kids are older, it's different than when the kids are small. Like, you got to figure that out. But guys, if it's destroying his work in you or it's destroying your family, you're not doing it right, which should be good news. Okay, God, show me how to do it. I love the zeal, but sometimes, all right. So just a quick question with the Holy Spirit. Is there something competing for my heart's affection or attention? Holy Spirit, is there something that's good but not best that you're asking me maybe to uproot? All right, final soil, verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Remember, we looked at that in the first soil. And understands. In other words, they're putting it into practical human experience. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another 60, and another 30. And so this, the, uh, this story of, that Jesus, the, of the parables of the four souls is also told in the Gospel of Mark. We're reading in Matthew. It's also in Mark chapter 4. So I remember I was reading it in Mark chapter 4, and I remember I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit competitive on stuff. Sometimes I go a little crazy. i got to really dial it down. I guess uh, this Thanksgiving during one of the games, I amped it up to level 10 on accident and freaked everybody out. So, um, but <clears throat> we won.
one. And so, um, well, actually, we tied, but it was uh, with another team. Anyway, back to the story. So I'm reading in Mark chapter 4, and I'm like, you know, 160, 30. I mean, to me, like, 100's an A+, plus, 60's like a D, you know. It's not really the thing. I'm just telling you, like, I'm thinking, like, percentage. I'm just telling you, this is how my brain was working at the time. I'm like, God, I want to be, like, the 100-fold person. I want to be, like, a 30-fold, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you guys know 30-fold would be amazing. I'm just letting you know, in my brain, this is what was happening. And so I'm like, God, I want the 100-fold. And I felt like he said, keep reading. I was like, keep reading. So I just read the same parable that we just read. Here's the very next part, uh, Mark 4:21. And Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's the key, verse 24. And Jesus said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Some translations say, pay attention to how you listen. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The key to the interpretation of whether you're going to get 30, 60, 100 fold, the lamp is the key to the parable. Here's the deal. Hearing is a condition... To the level that you're willing to be changed by the word is the level that the word of God will change your life. Pay attention to how you listen. How I come to the word is going to severely influence what I'm going to walk away with from the word. If I'm coming to read a chapter a day, you'll get through the chapter, you're bored and God's bored. God's not up there excited about you going through some religious exercise. But if you're coming and you're wanting to surrender to a person... Holy Spirit, you wrote this book. Show me what I need. God, feed me on this. I'm not reading it just with my mind. I want to feed on these words of life. Imagine if, um, you know, if there's a passing of a loved one and there's a reading of their will. Like You would be anxiously listening for your name to see what you got. Right? That's the attitude that you're reading the word of God with. <laughs> I'm anxiously reading this to see what Jesus has made available to me through the, through the relationship with him. You see, that's a different way than, oh, man, I'm in Leviticus. Jeez. Oh, uh, chapter 15, it's all about men menstrual cycles of women. Oh, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hey, God's concerned about your plumbing. There you go. Bless you. <laughs> our willingness to be changed by the word of God determines our ability to see God's word change us. Okay, so how we, so pay attention how you listen. Bobby Connor's got a great saying. He says, I want to be like a leaf on a tree responding to a slightest breeze. And that's the heart, that when we come to the word of God with that heart, that's what gets changed. All right. So the first was, uh, first soil was the path. They did not understand. The word comes alive, but they didn't act on it. It was stolen from their heart, but not from their mind. Second path was the, uh, second soil was the rocky soil, had no root. That was a person who just heard it from other people. And, um, uh, but, you know, didn't do it to their own. Uh, the, th the third one was the thorns. That was the one with divided devotions, too many options. But the good soil was someone who was leaning in. It was someone who was listening. It was someone who was coming to the, to the Word of God, ready to be changed. And how many of you guys know, sometimes the Word of God cuts you. It's like, oh, man, I didn't know this was part of my life. God, I, I give that to you, too. And, oh, man, I didn't even know this was available. I can do this. Thank you, Jesus. And so, if I could have my lovely assistant uh, bring me a couple of books up here. Thank you, lovely assistant. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And so um, Mary said, why don't you just show people a couple resources that are helpful for reading the Bible? And so what happened is, so I drink these horrible tasting shakes every morning and um, lots of like power greens and spinach and kale. And so it looks like vomit. And so I'm getting in the car and uh, I dropped the book and I almost got it all over, but it looks like someone barfed in the driveway, but the books, so if you come and look at them afterwards and they got some green stuff on them, um, that's what happened. And I'm sure the neighbors, like when they're walking their dog, they see like this green puddle and they're thinking, like someone got deliverance, like exorcist type stuff or something. So anyway, because they all know I'm a preacher. So the, uh, the first one is called the books of the Bible. And so this is a translation of the Bible. Can you guys see all the green in there? Yeah. That one got it good. And so um, this, is, this is my favorite, uh, favorite way to read the Bible. It has no chapters or verses in it. Okay. And so at the, at the bottom of the page, it'll, uh, so here's Jeremiah. It'll say like uh, ch- chapter 3, verses 22 through 4, 5. So you kind of get a reference for it. I feel it has the best book introductions. You know, so like you're reading Jeremiah, you know, it's helpful to know, you know, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's also in chronological order. So the order that the books were written in. And so if, you have to probably look at the table of contents if you're looking to find something. But here's what happens is chapters and verses were put in the Bible uh, over a millennial after the, uh, after the Bible was written. And so sometimes it reads like a bad technical manual. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Stop. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Stop. And that's not how we don't read any other book like that. And it breaks up the thought when actually, you know, when Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, it was written just as a letter. So you would read it like you would a letter. And so to me, it's like curling up with your favorite book. And it's like, you're not told where to stop. Oh, here's a chapter stop. Oh, I got to stop there. You just, you're getting lost in the text. That's how you're originally supposed to read the Bible. You know, just, you're getting lost in it. You're consuming it. It's just, it's just wonderful. So this, uh, I, I bought this for all our staff, bought it for all our kids, but it's just called the Books of the Bible, uh, NIV Zondervan. And so... That one's super helpful. This one um, is the uh, NIV Cultural Background Study Bible. And so, you know, you're reading something about head coverings. You're like, what is up with head coverings, you know? And so it gives you a little background notes on what was up with head coverings. And uh, so just some of those little background nuggets because, you know, that was, you know, that was written centuries, millennia, you know, more than centuries, written thousands of years uh, before us. Some things have changed. And so it just kind of helps bridge that gap. Great little study notes in that one. Uh, the Passion Translation, I like to get them in the booklets rather than the whole thing because the font's too small. But if you've got better eyes than me, just, you can buy the whole New Testament. I think Psalms and Proverbs all in one book. But the, just the footnotes alone on the Passion Translation are worth the price of it. And so he bundles up some books. But uh, the Passion Translation notes, there's nothing like it. And one last little resource. I prefer the online version of it. It's free. It's called Talk Through the Bible. Um, Bruce Wilkinson, Kenneth uh, Boa. Um, yeah, and so this is, this is just great little overviews of the book, the background, that stuff. Actually, this isn't the online version. Actually, this is the one I like. Skip that one. The one I like is actually by J. Vernon McGee. Remember him? He used to do the talk through the Bible. Well, he has got the, uh, his website. I think it's like tttb.org, like talkthroughthebible.org. But um, uh, just if you want to like get the background of Jeremiah, boom. Jeremiah was actually written at the same time as Ezekiel and Daniel. And Jeremiah, he had an audience who refused to listen. And one of the messages was, you need to yield to Babylon. If they would have listened to that message, they would have got the better news of Daniel and Ezekiel. But since they didn't, they got beat to death by Jeremiah. And it's like this, oh, it's just, you're like, why is he being so hard on them? Because they wouldn't listen. God's continually warning them. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool to know, right? It's right in there. So uh, those are some good resources. So... uh,